Have you heard of Huga? A lot of people going like this. Huga. It's, it's actually spelled H-Y-G-G-E. Only those on the cutting edge like myself know about it here, <laughs> here in the United States at this point. Uh, it's a, a concept that has come out of uh, Denmark, and uh, there are some books that are, you know, kind of making their, their way over here uh, about this. As you know, over in Scandinavia, um, they have long, cold, very dark winters, and uh, they, uh, for some reason, and I don't know how they measure this, but they have determined that the, the people in Denmark are regularly considered to be the, the happiest people in the world. Like I say, I don't know how you, how you measure that and, and so on. But some think it's because of this, this concept. Now, the idea of, of huga, uh, and you can maybe think of the term hug might help you uh, remember this, it's, it's, it's the concept of creating like a cozy atmosphere. And so it may be uh, eating uh, comfort food, maybe coming in out of the cold and, and sitting in front of a, a fire with a good book and with some uh, uh, tea or hot chocolate or grog. It's another, you know, Danish term that uh, we use. And uh, uh, one, of the, one of the aspects, though, of uh, huga is light. And so uh, they, are, they are, are big on uh, a soft lighting, not fluorescent ever, but uh, things like light from the fire and certainly lots and, and lots of, of candles, and that creates this atmosphere of, of warmth. Now, I think it's a great concept. Um, you may not know this about me, but uh, in, uh, about some of these kinds of things, I'm, I'm rather a purist, and so uh, I like the idea of, of candles but uh, as a purist, we're not going to use those candles, those battery-powered <laughs> candles with a little glow in the middle like it's a burnt-down candles um, as a purist. Um, our battery-powered uh, candles have a little <laughs> flame on the top, <laughs> and that's much more, more pure. But, but the idea... Is, is a good one. Uh, I like the idea of this light that gives a contrast to the dark outside. Now, I want you to put that on the side burner, and uh, we're going to now go to our text in John chapter 1. Last week, we looked at the first few verses. Let me begin, though, with those again so that we have the right context in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, will you uh, help us today as we look at this portion of the word that, that for those that have been around the church for any length of time, they've heard it a lot of times. Maybe over and over. But help us not to be cold towards it or, or think we, we, we get it, but rather than that, Lord, will you, will you teach us from it? Will you apply it to our hearts? Cause your spirit to, to work in our hearts, Lord? And open up this, this portion of your word that you saw fit to preserve for us. And we ask for this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now I want us to, to start by, by noticing the goal of what uh, uh, John, the witness, had to say. Here's what it it says, there was a man sent from God, this is verse 6, whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So we're going to talk about John more later in chapter 1. It, it kind of, it mentions him and kind of peppers this uh, uh, first chapter with information about him, so we're going to dwell on him a little bit more. But uh, uh, I want you to notice this one. I'm I'm calling John the witness. Um, I know some people call him John the Baptist. I'm actually convinced that uh, if our denomination had been around back when John was around, he probably would have been. John the PCA dude, uh, <laughs> but the other term is we could call him John the baptizer, which describes what he did, but this is actually more what he did, even more so than the idea of, of baptizing, and that was that, that he bore witness to the one that was was coming. That was his job. His whole job was to point to Jesus. 
And he was such a powerful figure, evidently. He became so influential, people took such notice about him that the gospel writer felt he had to make it clear in verse 8. He says, he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Because certainly there would have been some that were saying, uh, well, he must be the Messiah when he burst onto the scene there after 400 years, basically, of silence from God. Now, here's what I want you to notice. Notice John the Witness's purpose says that all might believe through him, not John, but through the one he was bearing witness to. So here's the point. I am convinced that the Bible, we've been through Romans, and we will see in John, I am convinced that the Bible teaches uh, about election and about God's sovereignty when it comes to salvation. There's no question in my mind that, that that is there. And yet, look at his purpose. See, the idea of election and God's sovereignty in terms of salvation is his business. Here he shows us what our business is. Shows us through John. And his goal was that all might believe through Jesus. He wasn't out there looking for for the elect or anything like that, and neither should we. Our goal should be that all might believe through Jesus. And God's method in that, God's method is using people like John and people like us. That's, That's the purpose here. So, here's what I want you to know. You are either a witness to the light because you're walking in the light. In other words, you're a believer in Christ, which makes you a witness to the light. Or, the other category is, you need the light. That's the two groups in this room today. You're either a witness to the light, pointing to the light, or you need the light, Now, some of you, because I know, I've heard this plenty of times, some of you might might be thinking, oh, I could never be a witness. That's just not my personality. That's not my my gifting. And uh, so I, I really couldn't be a witness. Let me say this again. (laughs) You are either a witness to the light or you are in need of the light because you're outside of Christ. Now, you may be a good witness that accurately points to the light or you may be a bad witness that diminishes the light and doesn't accurately point to the light. But if you're in Christ... You are his witness. I want to apply this right here, right up front, really. Because you're going to be a witness even in how you celebrate 
Christmas. It's a great time, really. If we celebrate Christmas primarily as just Santa Claus and elves and all the, the commercial aspect. Now, look, I'm not even one, I may be a purist, but I'm not even one that says we got to try to get rid of all that. We're not going to get rid of all that. And I, I like the movies and everything as much as the next guy. I watched the Santa Claus last night. So, you know, I, I, I get that. Those, thing, those things are fine, but... But the question is, how do we primarily celebrate this time of year? If if we give in and the way we celebrate it looks just like our, our neighbor or friends that don't know Christ, then basically what we're doing is we're agreeing with them and we're saying, look, look, uh, you're basically right. That's what it's all about. And it's not about the the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Redeemer. And we don't ever want to be witnessing to the world in that way. So look at the the nature of the one coming. Verse 9, the true light that comes, uh, that gives light to everyone was coming in to the world. So I want you to notice that the fact that it says the true light implies that there are false lights. So let's think about that. If, if the world's in darkness and in need of light, if Jesus is the true light, then there are other so-called lights out there that the world seeks to find its way by. Uh, on Tuesday morning, we have staff meeting, and I like to uh, uh, bounce around with them the, the passage that uh, I'm going to be uh, approaching. And uh, we were talking about this this week, and I, I asked them, what, what are some of those false lights out there? Ones that people are, are seeking in terms of uh, that would really take the place of of what Jesus has done. One of those false lights has to be religion. Now, I'm making a distinction between Christ and religion. We'll get into that more in later messages, but basically, religion would be for those that try to find their salvation in what they do, in what they have achieved. That they try to work their way to God. That's religion. And it is opposed to everything that the gospel and Christ uh, stands for. But the scary thing about that, from my perspective, is that there are churches that are teaching religion. The very place that the true light should be clearly coming out of in some places, they're teaching that it's about doing good things and and, uh, making good choices and those kinds of things. Now, I'm all about those, but those will never, as we read earlier in our Confession of Faith, Those will never achieve anything 
before God. It's by grace that we are saved through faith. So religion would be a a false light. Second, another false light would be normalizing their sin. In other words, uh, justifying that uh, what they're doing in their life is okay because I'm at peace about it. The question is not whether uh, you are at peace. The question is whether it fits with what God has revealed for us. Another would be humanism or intellectualism. Uh, These are, are faith in self and in intellect that really leaves no room for mystery or the unexplained or the transcendent, and it doesn't leave any room for God. That's a false light that some go after. And, and thinking about this time of year, it, it also wouldn't leave any room for a, a God who becomes flesh or for a virgin birth because science would not permit that in their view. Another false light would just be safety and security, whether it's trusting in finances, uh, health, the government, all are are temporary at best and they're fleeting at the worst. Now those are just some examples uh, and, and I've seen all these in people that I've dealt with. But contrast that with the true light. Notice it says the light, notice it's which gives light to everyone. Hendrickson says this about that. The true light which illumines every man was in the act of coming into the world. So the fact that Jesus came brought light into the world. Do you remember when we were in Romans? Over in Romans 1, it it talks about what what man has done (coughs) with the truth. It said this in Romans 1, 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Now that's, that's what, what man does with the light. They suppress the light or the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. And so they're without excuse. Let me suggest again about this season of the year. It's the perfect illustration of that suppression. Let me explain. Christmas is about the birth of Jesus. And yet there is so much other tradition that has come around. Instead of the world being stunned about this truth about Jesus... Or instead of them being driven to seek him like the wise men. Or even offended or scared like Herod was. Instead of those kinds of reactions to to Jesus' birth and his coming and the fact that he uh, claims to be king... Christmas has become so covered up that it's everyone's favorite time of year. Everybody's good with it out there, basically. 
even those with no faith. Garrison Keeler, who was, used to be my favorite uh, storyteller, he's now infamous for some apparent bad behavior. But this is what he said about Christmas. Although you may decide that instead of Christmas carols, you're going to hold hands and breathe in unison, Christmas will still live deep in the cockles of your heart, or actually in your neocortex stored as zillions of neuron impulses. It's your brain that sends tears to your eyes when you smell the saffron cookies that your grandma used to make, or you sing Silent Night. So Christmas, this is his definition, is number one, lights, number two, food, number three, song, number four, being with people you like. You need no more. You need no more. Now, we're going to do all those things today. But we need more as well. Sadly, too many settle for the the warmth of the holiday and miss the reality of the coming of Christ. Remember Huga? (laughs) Creating an atmosphere that is so different from the harsh environment that it, it affects the people. That's what some people have made Christmas into. It's just the atmosphere. That seems to be what what he's saying. But then the reality is all around. Look at the reaction of of Jesus coming then in verse 11. Or 10, rather 10. I'm going to read in a moment. The newspaper article said, God is not fixing this. That was the, the title, the headline of the article after one of the tragedies. And it was making a mockery of, of those who would say, we've got to be praying about this. We've got to stand together and so on. And they were mocking it saying, look, You all can pray, but God isn't fixing this. And their article would say, here's what's going to fix it. The government needs to be more efficient. That will fix it. Or gun laws will fix it. Or cooperation will fix it. But God cannot. Here's what the scripture says and and how it describes that kind of reaction. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. So the creator was rejected absolutely by his creation. He came to his own, the Jewish people. These were people that were 
were waiting for the Messiah. They had had generations, 400 years of of silence, but prior to that, these are the people that had uh, the law that they couldn't fulfill that pointed to the Messiah. These are the people that had the promises of the Messiah, the ones that anticipated his coming. But when he came, at best, most missed him or ignored him. And at worst, they rejected him. So what are the ramifications of not receiving him? What difference does it make? Well, if we fast forward a couple chapters in John, and it's in John chapter 3, right after John 3.16 where it talks about God so loving the world that he gave his only son, verse 19 says this, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. See, this isn't a neutral thing. It's not just ignoring. It says that that the light came in the world and it was hated. But whoever does what is true comes to the light. That's what Jesus said. And then we hear the witness of John the witness, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. I've just described someone you know. Someone you care about. Someone you love fits into that category. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. That someone that you know and you care about may be the nicest person you can think of in this whole world. It may be your spouse or your mother or your father or a sibling or a child, but if they don't have the Son, the Bible says the wrath of God remains on them. You say, I, I don't, that's not uplifting. I don't want to hear that here at Christmas time. Well, here's the point I've called this brief series, this Advent series, Christmas. Hope for a dark world. And that's what I want to leave you with. The good news of that hope. The good news is that in this season, you may have opportunities to be witness to that person that I've just described to you that that came to your mind when I said that, that doesn't know Christ, you may have opportunities to be that witness to them that you don't have the rest of the year. 
There may be an openness to hearing uh, about Christ. There may be an openness to attending uh, our our music, uh, the many moods of Christmas or the Christmas Eve services. There may have been a, a reluctance or unwillingness the rest of the year. I have this week been praying that God would give many of you those unique opportunities and that your witness to that person, to those people, this Christmas would be more than a warm, fuzzy atmosphere, a Danish concept. This is about eternity. I want to encourage you. Take heart. Take hope for those that God has brought to your mind that they might believe and that in in believing the wrath of God will be removed from them forever. Will you pray that with me? Let's pray. Lord, will you uh, make that person or those people a burden only in the sense that that we we don't forget to be a, a positive witness before them? Will you then, Lord, give us the opportunity, give us the open door for a word of truth to bring them with us, to speak of what Christ has done for us. Will you give us that opportunity and then, Lord, help us to see that opportunity, that open door and walk through it. We don't don't have the courage to do that, but you can give it to us. And so, Lord, will you use this season to enable us to be a witness to these we love and those around us. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.